It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. And welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And of course, anywhere across the country, download the Player Canada app and type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM. I'd like to welcome my uh, first guest to the show. It's a pleasure to have him back. Kenneth Jackson joins us, and uh, it's a pleasure to welcome him back. We have had him on the show before. He is a reporter with APTN and uh, out of the Ottawa area, producer to uh, Nation to Nation, and he is an award-winning investigative journalist with a decade of reporting experience. He's played a key role in breaking the Bruce Carson story on APTN in 2011, which led to an award from the Canadian Association of Journalists. And most recently, he is the uh, winner of the World Press Freedom Awards 2020 Press Freedom Award. And uh, Kenneth, it's a pleasure uh, to have you back on the show, and congratulations. Thank you, and always good to be on. You know, Kenneth, um, I, I, I get the feeling from you and certainly with the kind of work that you do from our last conversation this this is not just work this is uh you are very touched you are very moved and you are very emotionally connected to the work that you do it's uh well i i say it's tough to be a reporter when you're human as well right when you're doing stories like this and um i guess well i've always been pretty good at disconnecting i've always been pretty you know i used to be like a, like a day-to-day crime reporter. So I, I've been in houses with families who have lost a loved one over a tragic accident or a murder, like hours after it's happened. So I've, I've developed a pretty thick skin to, I guess, trauma, if you want to say. So I'm sort of used to it, and I sort of get, get pulled into that stuff. I'm not sure why, but it always seems to be that way. Um, when it comes to the child welfare stuff, uh, I just try to stay focused on laying the truth bare. And that's what I, a term I use a lot to the point where it would probably annoy people so much like Perry Bellegarde saying, widen the gap or close the gap, right? It's my catchphrase, I guess, lay the truth bare. That's all we can do. Right. And my anger that I have for this is natural. It's, uh, it doesn't make me uh, lose my, 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 my focus as a reporter. I think it's natural to be when you hear children dying in horrific ways and that's preventable um anger fuels things and i guess when i i guess when i'm i guess like when i stop being angry about things i'll retire but uh there's a lot of uh, like it's a lot of fr- uh, frustration like you i asked a former child advocate erwin elman in ontario about this i go why aren't more people outraged he goes i walk around with outrage because what's happening to uh, children in care, children who are connected to child welfare agencies, children who are, have a file open. It's devastating at times. And for the most part, it, it, you know, for the most part, it's devastating. And sometimes it leads to tragic, you know, deaths that are preventable. So I guess, yeah, I am connected to it in a way that I need to keep going. I know there's so much more to do, right? Yeah, now let's go back a little bit for people that may not understand or know what this award was given to you for. Uh, and I'll just tell people a little bit about the award and, and, and what it stands for. So uh, the, this annual award, the 2020, uh, particularly the Free, Press Freedom Award, it recognizes outstanding achievements by Canadian media workers who produce public interest journalism while overcoming secrecy, 
intimidation, and other efforts to thwart their work. And 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 certainly, Kenneth, uh, I guess the the story that this all started with, I believe, is uh, Kanina Sue Turtle. Is that correct? Kanina Sue Turtle, yeah, up in uh, up in uh, Sulaco. She um, she uh, filmed her suicide in a home that was operate owned and operated by Tikkunagan Child and Family Services, an Indigenous Child Welfare Agency, in 2016. Right. And you started following that story. And I noticed that you just recently uh, tweeted something about this as well. Um, so when you started, uh, I mean, tell us a little bit again about that, if you don't mind, just, just. Well, so what I had known, I like about, about 10 months earlier, it was news across Ontario that um, a couple, couple young girls had died while in, while in foster care or group homes mm-hmm. and I saw one and then I saw another and I was like holy smokes that's three in six months that's a big deal this is and kind of was one of them and so that was the first time I I, I really uh, started to realize what was going on and then and then it turned to four in six months with Tammy Kiash who uh, was found uh, dead in, in a Thunder Bay waterway in May of 2017 um, and I did a little bit of work after that. I realized that there, there was a problem with data, and they, they weren't—they didn't know how many Indigenous kids were in group homes across Ontario. They didn't know where they were. Individual agencies may knew, but they didn't report to the province, even though they were—you know—that makes sense to, to have a centralized database of where these children are, because we can track them, so you don't lose them, so, um, so to speak, um, so they don't get lost in the system. Um, it was frustrating, so I just kind of—you know—but I wasn't really hooked yet. And then um, one of the like, you know, a lawyer in Thunder Bay of, uh, for the family of Amy Owen, who died in an Ottawa group home on April 17th, 2017. She was, um, she was 13 years old and, and she killed herself. Um, exact same way the kind of did. I would find that out later. Um, and it was connected to, to the two were connected. But anyways, um, the lawyer said, I have a video and I want to share it with you. And I kind of knew him through Amy, you know, a little bit. And I was like, okay, well, he was really bad with, with audio or with internet. So I said, well, just FaceTime me and put the, your phone on, the, on your laptop and I'll watch it. Okay. And I watched this young girl die. And it was horrific in the sense of, you know, obviously it's terrible. And, but as a reporter, I'm looking for certain things. I'm, looking, I'm, I'm listening to actually, as I'm watching this poor young child die, and it's terrible to say this, but it's the truth because as a reporter, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for why is she alone instantly? Questions that are popping in my head. Why is she alone? So I'm listening in the background for what the sounds in the home are. I can hear a baby crying. So I know whoever's in that home is supposed to be watching after her is um, preoccupied with her child. So I don't really, you know, whatever. I'm, I just leave it alone. I, you know, I keep watching it. And then I, um, it wasn't until after that I, it didn't click in. For some reason, it didn't click in that it was Kanina. And I called the lawyer. And I go, holy smokes, that's Kanina. Her mom didn't even believe she killed herself. When I talked to her last May, like six, like ten months ago, she had, she didn't believe it until she watched it herself, and that's when everything changed. Kanina, I went on Kanina's Facebook. Uh, she left a, a trail of breadcrumbs for someone like me to, to pick up, inadvertently probably. But she, Kanina, and her death captured the child welfare system at fault. I would argue for for her death, and you know, I'm not the only one who said that. There's been a, uh, investigations into her report, or her death that have confirmed failure after failure. 
I just don't want to call them failures anymore. Um, you can't call them failures if they've been happening for decades. You know, if I fail at something, I'm going to learn from it. But we're not learning from it. These kids are still dying. There's kids dying right now that I can't get to. You know, and that weighs on me a bit, knowing that there's children out there that I, that I no matter all the work I've done, and I've done so much, I can't, I can't get to that right now. I can't, because I, I, the system keeps me out. And that's what that award was about. The award was about, after I saw Kanina die, I went, I just, I just bared down. And I said, this is it. I'm going to, I'm going to prove what's going on. I'm going to show it in a way that no one's ever shown it before, but I'm going to do it in a respectful way. And that's what I set out to do. And I found roadblock after roadblock from, you know, the liberal government, you know, everyone wants to talk about the Ford government, the liberal government, Ontario was maybe just as worse, you know, if not, you know, if not worse, like at least they, you know, they would smile as they told you to take off for at least, you know, where you stand. The liberals are the exact same. They don't want information out either. Nobody does. They don't want people knowing all these children are dying. They don't want to know that 102, at least 102 Indigenous kids died in the five years between 2013 and 2017 connected to the child welfare system. They don't want you to know that. They put it out there, but they don't publicize it and they don't make a big deal about it. And so when I come along and I go, well, this isn't right because I see the crime and everything. And, you know, people, you know, they, they, they say you can't call it a crime because, you know, it's... but. I, Oh, what else is it? It's very, you know, it's criminal that these children are dying this way. And I'm going to keep saying that until someone starts believing it and starts seeing it that way. Like, think of it this way. Like, I, I was thinking of the, you know, I think of the scenario of, um, of, a, of a young boy named Fallon. He was three months old. He was taken into care in Thunder Bay. He was put into a foster home that was run by a registered nurse. The registered, two registered nurses, if I understand, operated this home. So they're professionals, right? They, they have, um, they, they, they stand to a higher account, essentially. They, they, are, are they held to a higher account because they, have a, because they have a professional body that holds them to account in their job? Fallon died in a crowded crib, three months old. Well, if you have children, I have three. There's no way I'm going to have my three-month-old in a crib with anything really in there. He might be swaddled. He might, you know, by that point, maybe not. But, you know, it's not going to be toys. They don't know what toys are. So when a baby dies in a crowded crib and the cops show up to investigate the death, where's that connection? Why isn't there someone going, well, wait a minute. Why would you put all that stuff in the crib with the baby? I, this is my belief. I have no proof of this specific incident. My belief my, on this and my theory is, is that it's become so normal for these children to die. It's become so normal to discount indigenous deaths in any manner that they just, it, it just becomes, well, yeah, you know, now they're dead in child welfare. They'll clean it up. But, you know, I've had this discussion with the chief coroner. I've had a discussion with other people. Why aren't their charges laid or even pursued, at least, in these deaths? Because I'll tell you right now, that mother, I found her on the streets of Thunder Bay in the summertime last summer. Devastated. Completely wrecked by what happened. Wrecked. And yelling out bloody murder literally yelling out murder murderers to me you know like there's and whose mother are you referring to at this point sorry foul and the three month old i found the mother on the street she would be she became homeless after his death mm. um you know and it's i guess my point is it's become so normal for for um this to happen that i think people just accept it and i i guess in my reporting i'm trying to get people to look at it in a different lens through a different lens and I approach everything 
as a crime reporter. I see it as a crime. I, I look at it that way. Like as a crime reporter working that beat, I'm looking for certain angles. And I'm trying to make other people see things differently and not accept what's become so normal. And we're not talking the last couple of decades. Like the child welfare system in Ontario, it's been around since 65, 60 scoops. That's how it all started. Like the Ontario model created 60 scoop. I don't think a lot of people know that. In 1965, there was a funding model that was done that downloaded all the, because before then, no one really did child welfare on reserve. It wasn't a thing necessarily. And the federal government didn't want to deal with it. The provincial government didn't do it. So you didn't see all of these apprehensions. Um, it wasn't until the, on the federal government created this model, and they, they boasted about it, but I've blown holes through it. They boasted about the 1965 funding model, how great it was. And then it just basically, basically became a carbon copy across, across the country. And that's your 60s scoop, essentially. From what I understand, maybe I'm wrong. I'm certain maybe there's your readers or your listeners are going to go, that Jackson guy doesn't know what he's talking about, but I'm pretty certain that's how it all came about. And it's something I've been looking into. So you have, that's the system for the last 60 odd years, almost. That's how things have gone or 50 or whatever it is. Um, so that's kind of what I've been dealing with. And so what, you know, this all predates and you got residential schools and all that stuff, but this is the system that's been set up for 50 some years and it's become okay. It's become acceptable that these children are dying and i think that they're i don't want to see a severely underfunded people like homes and whatnot like there is a lot of political will that needs to happen to save these these children but if you're going to take on a job you gotta you gotta be able to and it's to, it's to keep those kids safe they're not safe for their family it shouldn't be dying in a foster home or a group home or being sent home after being torn apart from their family for two years and dying at home that shouldn't be happening. Our guest is Kenneth Jackson. That's the voice you've been listening to. He is the uh, 2020 Press Freedom Award uh, recipient for this year and uh, also uh, a reporter with APTN, producer of Nation to Nation, uh, and as I say, works in Ottawa with APTN. Uh, you've used this term normal several times now in talking about how this this horrible fact that so many children are dying in, in child uh, in, in, in care. And yet, you know, you, you've talked with other people about it. You've asked about why aren't charges being laid. You've, you've brought this, this stuff to the, to the attention of many people. I, I, when I hear you say this, you know, it's just become acceptable. It's just the norm. There's so many uh, now that has been going on and it's just accepted. But, that seems like such a I don't even know what words to use to say we're talking about human we're talking about children and um, you know you mentioned that when you were trying to get information from uh, the certain uh, levels of government and certain uh, th that they'd smile at you when they were giving you some details or weren't available or whatever it is and, and I just thought that, that callousness, that, uh, you know, what is it? What, what do you, what, what do you get a sense of when, when that is presented to you? It's all a game, but I don't play a game. Like, like, look, it's, I remember the look on the face of the Thunder Bay clerk when they denied, denied me public documents in a civil case they had no right to do. So they broke the law when they did it and they, and they concocted reasons afterwards to, to justify what they did 
remember the look on their face. I remember how when I challenged them, politely challenged them properly, it was like, how dare you? Who are you to challenge me? Well, I'm a reporter who knows what they're doing, has been around for a while, and knows the law, and you're breaking it right now. But so what they so in the end, all you're ever going to do is slow me down for that's it. I will get there eventually. Mm. You know, if I have if APN has to hire lawyers to go get documents, we have and we will again. Um, you're just slowing it down. Like for instance, um, I'll, I'll let you guys know on something I'm, I'm working towards on Thursdays. Uh, Nation to Nation is. I found a young girl, young woman, she's 27, who is in a long-term care home, a senior's home. She's disabled and she grew up in care at two and was abandoned, horrific life, made it through the system. So she went through the system uh, in Ontario, ended up paralyzed in a long-term care home. So I was like, I asked the Ontario government, I go, can you give me the stats on how many children who age out at 18 end up in these group homes? Um, are sorry, and these senior homes. And they're like, uh, yeah, we don't track that. Or I'm like, can you give me the number of deaths in care over, since the pandemic started? No, we're not going to do that. You have to, you know, you, uh, uh, you got to file a freedom of information. And I was like, okay, that's ridiculous. You have that, that data you know, readily available, but you're purposely not giving it to me. So it's, so it's become political. Uh, it's not about the children. Because put it this way, if, a group home in Ontario on the best day has severe problems. It just does. You're dealing with a group home is the end of the line care. You, everything has failed at that point. Adoption, foster home, you name it. Everything has failed. So you're in a group home for a reason because nothing has worked or you've been deemed a troubled child or you, you name it. There's various reasons why. So now throw a pandemic in the picture um, where they can't leave the house. And they're all locked in and they can't go to the shopping mall. They can't, they can't get out. That's going to just make things worse. So I want to know the numbers of deaths. And so their argument goes, well, they're not COVID related. I go, you may not see COVID, uh, COVID related deaths. I see situations. I think others would too, that let's examine this further. And I have things I can compare it to, but they keep it from me. My point is they keep things from me that I know they have and they make it harder for me to get it. Just, I really believe it's political. There's no other reason to do it. Because, so let's say Doug Ford government, or the Ontario government has the information. I want the information. I should have that information immediately. Mm-hmm. Because it should, I should be able to, after everything I've done, I should be able to see that information and know exactly, because I know where to go with it. I know what to do with it. I'm not trying to make people look bad. I'm not purposely trying to do that. Like, I would literally walk, I, I will walk away. I will leave and go do something else. I don't want to keep writing about this. I just want, but I have to. There's no, there's no, you can't just open this box and then say, okay, well, sorry, kids. You know, I'm not going to, I'm literally the only one in Ontario doing it. Like, so I can't stop, right? Like there's, there's no stopping, but I would love to. And if you did, if everyone did the right thing, I, I, your reporter like me walks away. But until that's done, I got to keep going. So when you're faced with people that are denying information to you, that is, is and should be readily available to you, um, what, what, is that, what does that say to you right off the mark? It, it, to me, it's, it's like flags go up all, already. Well, it's political. It's not about 
the safety of young children and it's, and it's keeping things hidden. That's what this is. That's why I think I won that award is it's, it's, it's been the child welfare system has been designed to keep people out and they use privacy statutes in the child welfare act or there's a name for it. Children and youth services act. Um, and they, they, Oh, it's to protect the, the privacy of the children. No way. No way. It's to protect the, 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 the Ontario government, the agencies, the workers, and everyone, who, and those who mess up d- during it. Well, that should all be open. That should all be seen, and it should be available for everyone to see. And it's 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 become, I would argue, a bit of a joke that people argue privacy for child welfare. It's not protecting children. In fact, most children want that out there. I have to keep kids and tell them I can't do your story. I can't I can't identify you. They're telling me I want to be identified. I want it out there, and they're young. So I, I, um, and they're not, when I say children, I'm like, they're like teenagers and some of them are in their twenties, but they're still connected to child welfare system in a way they're receiving funding. So I can't identify them. And I, I have to like <laughs> beat them away and say, I can't do this because I have to figure out a way to get your story out with the laws the way they are, because it just takes one agency to go, you cross the line. We're going to, we're going to file, you know, whatever it is and say that you broke the law. Okay. Like I'm willing to take, I'm willing to take that risk. I would, if APTM was on board, I'd be like, let's go. Let's just identify everybody. That's just not even, let's not even hold back. And let's just have complete disregard for this bogus law because this needs to be challenged. And that's one thing I would love to do is challenge it completely. And just like, if I could tell you some of the stories I know, David, it was just blow your mind. You think the things I've written are bad? You haven't heard any, you haven't seen anything yet. If I could tell you the way things have happened behind the scenes, because I'm connected to all these families. They all reach out to me. It's way I, worse than I've written. I, I'm sure. And I was going to ask you about your, uh, your relationship with the families of these people as well. And, um, and how has, how has that, what, what do they say to you um, in, in pursuing these things? Well, for the most part, you know, they're, Particularly the ones I've done on like Kanina Suturo's family or Amy Owen's family, um, Tammy Kiesh. Tammy Kiesh's mother, Pearl, passed away shortly after her death um, of natural causes. Uh, so I lost that connection to her and my ongoing work with her other son that died in care. Um, I had not written about, no one has. Um, I, um, they, it's not like they're like, they share my work and I know they get it. They just have a lot going on in their own life and they're worried about their other kids, right? They all have their other kids and so you can just imagine what other issues are there, right? Like, so you know, I, I legally can't say what other issues are, um, but so draw your own conclusion. But um, they, they, I find more often than not, in a moment of crisis, and they come up every now and again, they reach out to me and they go, what can we do? Uh, can you help us connect to our lawyer? Like sometimes just, Texting their lawyer going, hey, man, you really need to uh, connect with these people. Uh, this is what happened. Um, I know you can't talk about it with me, but I'm like, here you go. Let's, um, can, you, can you please give them a ring? And a lot of times that's all it is. Or, you know, other families, there's, there's stories I do where I, you don't even, or there's things I do where you don't hear about it. I don't write a story about it because sometimes I just make a phone call yeah. or I send an email and things change for the family and I don't need to do anything. I don't, like when I do a story, I've, it's been because it's, it's been drawn out for the most part. I've thought it through. And there's a, there's a public interest in knowing what happened, but sometimes I'm just almost the threat of a story is enough to make change. So, mm-hmm. uh, 
Kenneth, what does this, receiving this Press Freedom Award, what does it mean to you and in, in the larger picture to APTN, do you think? This award to me, it, and the reason why I, I applied to it, and I don't take, I've won a couple, I won another award for one of these deaths, and I was nominated for a missioner last year for, for, for this work. Um, I don't take a lot of joy in, the, in these stories. I don't get, like, when I, when as a reporter, when you have a big story, you're like, you get a pretty good feeling. So I, I chase that dragon almost. Mm -hmm. And, but not with these. I don't get any satisfaction really out of it. Uh, when I got the Doug Ford government to not let kids age out of care during a pandemic, that felt good because I'm helping people. Mm. But kids, stories about dead kids, there's no joy in that. I'm just, you know, it's just, it's, it, I don't want to do that work, but it's, I have to. So what this award means to me, it was recognizing the reporting, not necessarily the story, the reporting that I did and the fight that I had and how hard I worked and how hard, how much, like I don't work nine to five um at all I, i'm like like i clock in nine to five so to speak mm -hmm. but i work at all hours i've taken calls at two in the morning sure. wake up oh what's that oh send text back i work my tail off for these stories and i think about them constantly to the point where sometimes i need to remember i have three of my own kids and a wife and a dog and needs to be walked every night so when i walk every night with a dog i'm on a call i'm talking to somebody over a story that's that's, that's my one hour every night where i get to do whatever the heck i want um, so we recognize that and for APTN, you know, I can't do any of this work if AP, if my managers at APTN don't allow me the time to do it and the space to do it and the funding to properly pursue it. Like if APTN doesn't fly me to Thunder Bay, uh, last summer, I don't find that mother who I thought was integral. I told them, I, I brought that story back and I go, look at this. This is child welfare at its worst right here. This mother is completely destroyed. The child welfare completely destroyed. There's other things that played into it. Like there's a lot of, obviously uh, in child welfare, there's a, a lot of uh, history that goes into these things, the colonization, residential schools, uh, the, res I know, the reserve system, the way they're, you know, people are choked off and beaten down, all those things. That all plays into this. Mm -hmm. But you see the pain. You see what, instead of taking kids for so long, you know, for so long, um, instead of trying to prevent the apprehensions, the, 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 it's been uh, take, 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 take. That's what it's been like for forever. And it's slowly changing. But if you don't, there's a big question that you have to think about. And it's something I'm looking into a little more and it needs to be spoken about. Because when you talk to certain people about child welfare, they go, oh, they're all in for the money. And I'm a logical person. I go, what do you mean the money? They don't, you don't make money. You're not getting bonuses necessarily, I don't think, for how many kids you take. Like, hey, Hey, Jane, you took 12 kids this month. Good for you. You get an extra thousand bucks. I don't think that's happening. But what would these agencies, particularly the indigenous ones on reserve, do? And they are sometimes the biggest employers on reserve. And you have and they, to get any sort of service, you have to go through them for mental health, blah, blah, blah. What would they do without the kids? What would they do if they didn't have them? What would all those people do who are making big salaries do if they didn't have all these kids? So what, it, so what does that mean? Means means the kids need to keep being apprehended. Otherwise, how do you justify it? These massive, uh, you know, massive amount of money that's that's being used, right? That's, these um, like I'm I'm not saying that they'd be appropriate to do that, but without these children, none of this exists. Mm -hmm. Just look at it that way. Yeah. There's ways to prevent this. There is. 
and it's been spoken about many times. And I'm going to look into certain areas and try and do some more positive ways. Some people are trying to do it. But if you remove the kids out of the equation, you remove a lot of money. So just, just it's something to think about. And Ken, I think uh, you, 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 you sort of put your finger on that when you said there is ways to prevent this. And I think that's what your stories are helping to do. I, in, in some uh, way, starting to uh, expose these things so that people become aware of it. Just like the, your award says, it's, it's in the, the public interest. You're overcoming uh, these, the secrecy, the intimidation, and the efforts that, that thwart the work to get done. And I, I, uh, I think uh, that you know it it's i know i'm sure it 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 puts you under a lot of pressure as you say you work all hours and uh this this award recognizes a little bit of that hard work that you do to bring these stories to light uh, much needed but of course uh not pleasant and um certainly is it's always a pleasure to speak with you and we thank you for taking the time to join us and and share the the stories that you're working on as well as the stories that you've accomplished uh, that uh, are in the public interest. So thanks once again for joining us. Always a pleasure, and, and I'll come on anytime. Thank you, Kenneth. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Kenneth Jackson. He's the uh, 2020 Press Freedom Award recipient, and he works with APTN and producer of Nation to Nation out of the Ottawa Bureau. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Moment of Truth with more right after this. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. I'd like to welcome my next guest to the show. Cindy Lynn Martin is her name. She's an inspirational speaker she's an advisor she's a mentor she is Haudenosaunee and if you don't know what Haudenosaunee is that is a person from six nations and that is the name they call themselves uh, and I want to read something and it comes from someone we both know from six nations and uh, it's uh, it's a little something that he wrote about you and and this is a quote from uh, from Rick Hill uh, and we, we've had Rick on the show as well. It says, Cindy Martin has created a unique and effective tool for self-evaluation on the road to well-being. It allows you to reflect on the cultural and environmental connections that could be affecting your healthy relationships. You can discover and explore, if you are honest with yourself, I really like that one, and I think you point to that as well, a variety of cultural practices and ways of being that were intended to keep us on the positive path in life. By using this wheel, you can find new avenues to address the issues you face, and each time you use it, more and more will be revealed. And I thought that was really interesting. So I'm wondering if I'll, I'll throw the ball over to you if you want to pick it up from there. Let's start with the book, which I think seems to have triggered a lot of these things for you to start that road, down, you, down that road to help you um, get to the place you are today thanks david for you know acknowledging uh the the work that i'm trying to accomplish and 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 uh i i appreciate the acknowledgement of um you know observing the the my intention to help others um the book is called recover rebuild reclaim self and it's a personal story that i um utilize my traditional name it means um Iwahewi, and it means carrier of news um i am uh, uh traditionally kyuga of the uh, turtle clan and and uh um my 
purpose is to help people understand the importance of healing um, through traditional indigenous means. Um, because when we use our traditional medicines and ceremonies, it's to help us heal, uh, protect ourselves, and cleanse ourselves. So those are the three aspects um, that I've learned um, from my mentors, uh, of my spiritual mentors. And, and um, I've, been, I've been learning my culture and implementing all that knowledge since I was 10 years old. And it started out with Jake Thomas. And, and um, he was uh, telling the story of um, the great law. And, I, and this is my earliest memory, you know, is um, I'm, you know, back in the day, you know, kids could um, travel the the whole community by themselves and you know you get on a bike and you you go to any destination that you choose and you're not you know you're not in trouble as long as you're back home before dark mm -hmm. um but i remember going into this um the into the old community hall and and uh, there was it, it was a large gathering and it was only standing room only and and uh, they were all listening to jake thomas talk about the great love uh, piece and uh you know i found myself sitting in the front row um listening to the story about the peacemaker and about finding peace strength and a good mind and it wasn't until you know um um myself attending the you know a children's camp like the um the red barn where you learn your arts and crafts and you listen to your stories and your in your um and your um, family background, family stories, because um, they, uh, all the traditional people there, they knew my grandparents, and so they took the time to start educating me about our ways and having a better understanding of, um, you know, like sim symbolisms that are in our culture. And so, I, I was, I carried that all through my, all through my years, and, and it's, it's been. It's kept my mind straight. Um, it's kept me from um, feeling lost. So that cultural knowledge gave me a cultural identity, and it's and it's really given me a full sense uh, of a meaningful life, but a purpose. And so, you know, as a as a child, I would have um, these experiences that I wasn't sure um, what would you know, what they meant, and I, I've, I've always kept them to myself. Um, and, you know, from my understanding, I would just ponder it and, and but still, you know, keep it in within me where I wasn't um, um, insecure or, you know, it just made me ponder um, the meaning of it. And so um, I had held this, um, this dream since I, since I was very young. And it was, it was always this reoccurring dream of me running through the woods in the darkness. And, you know, I, I noticed, you know, trees and the open sky and, and just the darkness all below the ground. And, and I never knew that meaning, but it, it always came, you know, came to me. And it wasn't until I was about 42 years old. I found myself running through the woods and I was um, being chased. Um, I had been, um, um, I had been sexually assaulted that evening and it, 
it was the focal point, the change in my, in my life, um, instantly turned my life, um, changed my life. And so, you know, it, from that moment on, um, there was, um, from being sexually assaulted to being, um, to being, uh, betrayed and abandoned and judged, you know, it was, um, a full year of trying to recover from it. Um, not only because of that, but I had that sense of grief. I had that sense of um, loss of security, loss of confidence, and and you know just the the whole aspect of you know of being broken. Um, you, you know because you you wonder why things happen, why me, what you know what what's the purpose, and so. Um, from my understanding, you know, that acts, that aspect of, of, um, um, of a, um, sense of entitlement, it was corrupted as to like thinking that they, that, that individual had a, had a right to come into my, into my world and make and change my life forever. Um, that entitlement that, that he carried, you know, it was, it, it took away my choice. It took away, you know, like my, my free will type of thing. And so this, this whole aspect of healing, um, I, I, I had to sit and be quiet and allow myself to, um, heal myself in my, in, um, through our traditional ways. I had um, looked at the the reconnection journey, but I wasn't, you know, I, I was still hurting inside that I couldn't um, um, really understand its importance um, as to helping someone deal with trauma. And in this in this um, spiritual journey that I was taking, um, I I had to, you know. I had to really ground myself because you can lose your mind. Um, you know, I, the month before I was in, in Oklahoma doing a presentation about the, um, the importance of um, reporting, reporting assault, reporting domestic violence, reporting um, those, those aspects of, of um, making people accountable for their actions. And, you know, that month later, I was on the other side of the table of, you know, being, being um, the victim and trying to have the strength to report and to um, report and to have that um, connection to, to myself and to my mind and my body. And my, um, so I, I, I understand now the importance of, of, um, of that gentle nurturing aspect of healing because, because, um, we, we can get lost in our own thoughts and we can um, go into a deep isolation within ourselves, um, because of shame, because of, of, um, you know, the shock, um, just, just, it's an overwhelming experience. And, you know, when a month later after the assault, I had a trauma counselor come to me and um, 
she's, you know, visiting me and, and we're talking and, you know, I, I, I told her what I've been doing to help, um, re recover. And, and, um, she was amazed only because I utilize our traditional ways. Um, in that first, um, in the first, uh, um, 15 days I had went to, um, I started going to our traditional people, um, who are my family and, and, um, friends and, and, uh, they, um, um, the first one had done a, a spirit retrieval, um, from where I was assaulted to bring my spirit back into my body because I didn't feel like I was grounded. And so that was the first and, and foremost, um, aspect. And then there was, um, um, there was, um, medicine made from my mind so I, I so it would stay strong um because in some cases you know like people can like i said lose themselves but they can also go into a depression where or or you know or in an extreme case commit suicide because of it um i find that 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 making that medicine for my mind um was was crucial and and um, there was a ceremony that was done for me. Um, the men actually, um, I had two, two men come in and uh, sing medicine songs for me that, that are part of my, my, my medicine, my strength. And also um, just the, the talking was, was there with my other aunt. And, you know, I, I certainly feel, you know, I wouldn't have made it without, without them. And they're they're um, they're coming to. It, it's not consoling. It's it's actually um, empowering um, the spirit to to heal. And um, I found that you know with with this um, aspect of my connection with my people and my spirituality, there was there was um, just an unlimited amount of love and compassion that was in that was um, brought together within me um and and I, I wanted to mention you know get to give those thanks to them because um like to, to the men because the the two songs that they sang for me was a woman's song which was to um strengthen me as a woman but and then the second song was called the rabbit net and that was um to strengthen my my um, relationship with men and because it, because it, it kind of like, um, 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 severed or, or there was a broken communication between myself and, in the, the male role. And so, um, so that was the, the, the two medicines that were there that were sung for me. And, um, um, you know, I, I, I believe that this, this journey was to, was not only to help me heal, but um, I had to purge to write this book um, because it, its energy was at the core of my whole being. And so after I wrote the book, I, I realized that it was to help um, Indigenous men and women, um, uh, girls, know that our Indigenous ways of healing can help us mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And I and I'm to share the knowledge that creation is interconnected with our well-being, 
as we utilize the water, the earth, the air, and the fire as our elemental strength. In the reconnection journey um, through the tree rings, it's used as a resource tool to help align a pathway to learn not only cultural knowledge, but be responsible for our own health and well-being. I, I really appreciate, you know, the, the um, traditional people like my family for sharing their knowledge, but also my ancestors who have supported me all along the way. Um, because at, at, at that point, there was um, at the point of, um, of the assault, um, it, it even spiritually opened me up even more where my ancestors um, were there guiding me and, and talking with me and showing me vision. And it was, it was, um, um, it, it gave me a whole new sense of understanding that, that even though people come into your life, they may, they may um, bring you happiness or they may bring you, um, um, you know, a, ne a negative experience. But every one of those people are messengers and, and um, you know, you have to learn from that with a, a life lesson. And so I, my life lesson has been to not only um, empower other women um, other other women and girls, but to help give them that um, knowledge as to um, that that our traditional ways are validated, you know, with my experience, and um, you know that maybe that's what that what I've been um, uh, what I've learned, and I can share, and I can give that that. Um, that experience to them as to, you know, letting them know that, you know, not to be afraid, not to, um, um, not to feel guilty or hold any shame. It, it's just something that we have to get through. And, and with our, our, um, indigenous ways, we can do that. And it's, um, it's made me very sure footed. It's made me confident. And, and, you know, I've not only regained my sense of self, but I have, I have um, became so much more um, in, the, in the last, because it's about six years now. And, but in that time that I've um, written the book, it was a, a three-year experience of recovering, rebuilding, and reclaiming myself. And that third year after, after I reclaimed myself, um, that's where you had seen um, a mega amount of of involvement with not only within the culture but as an at an international level as well um speaking about women women's issues and um empowering women to um understand that that you you are of value and that you are of um uh, great great uh, uh leaderships um, for not only the women in your family, but for your community. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And the, the voice you're listening to is Cindy Lynn Martin. She is an author and the author of a book called Recover, Rebuild, Reclaim Self. You heard her just mention that. And uh, the other part of that title is The Empowerment of Iwa Ihawi. Did I get that? Iwa Hanwe. Iwa Hanwe. 
it says Henry, right. and it's um, it's carrier of news. That's yes, that's your your name uh, translated carrier of news, and uh, the book, as you heard uh, Cindy talk a little bit, there's a little bit of a description here. It's an indigenous healing journey to find peace, strength, and a good mind. A quest for empowerment, self-care, and coping with complex emotions, spiritual awakening, and a deep understanding of purpose. And it's okay. a survivor of violence, abuse, and sexual assault. And it's your story, as you said, and that uh, Harry is a carrier of news. Uh, uh, Cindy, some of the things that you um, talked about there, and you know, if you go to, uh, if you're if you're interested in finding out more about Cindy, she does have all the uh, social media connections, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, and she also has a, a page, a cindylynn.ca. So cindylynn.ca, if you go to that, you can see some of the work that she's been involved with over the time as well. And, you know, the, Cindy, there's pictures of you uh, at United Nations. There's uh, pictures of you in New York City and, and, uh, and, and getting involved with a lot of the things that you uh, have been involved with and, uh, and speaking at and making presentations to. And, you know, I have to say that this, this journey that you've been on, this, this book that you started uh, to express and come forward and share your, your story of abuse, that's not an easy thing to do right there. But the fact that you chose to do that so that you could help others, um, it, it seems that your story is resonating. Uh, and, and, and that's because it seems that it's, it's, it's getting the word out there so that you are being able to help others and, and go to some of these places and, and do these things that, so that you can get the message out there. Yes. One of the, the exciting parts that I had done um, is uh, was in, my story was in a movie called What About Us? Mm. And it was a film by, by Beverly Virgil and, um, I, um, and, and Shellard, um, Shellard House of Films. I... You know, I am just grateful again, you know, for the opportunity to speak and to help other women. Um, you know, like I, I'm available to do presentations or talk about the, um, the book or, you know, it's, um, um, it's still very much my passion and, and, um, you know, I, I'm um, looking forward to doing more work within, um, indigenous communities or, you know, just again traveling the world and and speaking on behalf of um the Haudenosaunee people as as a leader within um women's issues and a healthy environment and i was nominated for the waterfront um awards in toronto and it was for my international work you know of uh, speaking so uh, that was last year and and you know it's been a remarkable journey so i'm i'm just grateful for everyone that's you know, a part of my life and, and, um, you know, and, you know, I, and that's what I want to do is just help other women and girls know, know how to heal themselves, utilizing creation. Hmm. Um, now, um, the book is available also online, um, through Amazon. Yeah. And you can also, um, read it for free on a Kindle app. Hmm. Um, but you can purchase the book through Amazon. Right. Um, now, the story, you know, uh, the book itself, uh, you have three daughters, I believe. I have two daughters and a son. Okay. 
And I remember at one point in the book, you, you mentioned your daughters and you were, you, it said that you were, you were surprised at, at their strength or their resilience. And, and, you know, and I thought, but that makes perfect sense to me because look at their mother, <laughs> and what she's dealt with and what she's come through. So, you know, as they say, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're remarkable young women. Um, they, they were there through every day, you know, and, and um, you know, not only supporting me, but, um, you know, having that patience and, and um, even though, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, watching your, your mother, you know, cry day and day and, you know, it's, um, it's, I know it was hard on them, but they were, you know, they were, um, they were a source of strength for me mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I was a little embarrassed because, you know, uh, of this, of the situation, but also embarrassed as to being weaker than what I usually am. And, they saw it and, and, um, you know, it was, it was a great ex- experience to bring us together because it ended, you know, that, that, um, that, that question about, you know, like things can happen even though you don't um, plan for it, you know, it became real and they understood, you know, the importance of keeping themselves safe and, you know, it's, it it was it was um overwhelming but the, but they they are more the stronger than than i could ever imagine you know you you also mentioned uh jake thomas uh had of course the pleasure to uh study a little bit with jake uh when he was alive as well and it was uh, a great honor to uh to be around him uh you mentioned mm-hmm. the great law and of course that's the that's a long presentation, uh, not only day from sunup to sundown, but also a 10, 12 days long. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a lot of information to not only take in, but it's a lot of information for someone like Jake to remember uh, because it is an oral presentation that he would, would give. And um, it, it, it was nice to hear you mention his name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, that story, um, you know, defined me right from an early age and just to have the honor to talk to help people find strength peace and a good mind by utilizing the reconnection journey through the tree rings mm-hmm. that is the most um, remarkable um, most honorable experience um, that I can share with others and uh, and you know my with that purpose of helping people reconnect to themselves, their family, and their culture is the greatest gift that I can give to them. Uh, Cindy, we're coming to the end of our conversation. Uh, I'm just wondering if there's anything else you would like to mention. Is there anything you've got coming up that, that people might be able to uh, possibly um, participate in or, or catch you somewhere? Um, <laughs> Online, right now, anyway, these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, not right now. Um, I am um, a resource person for um, ATPN as a as an elder uh, to talk to, and so um, you know anybody can um, um, email me at three 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 firefighter at gmail dot com. And I was a firefighter for nine years, so um, you you know it's been a and that was a remarkable journey too. So yes, Dave, David, you you 
have seen me grow in extensive roles in 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 the community and also you know um at an international level too so i just am really happy that you had me on your show and you know if, if there's any questions you know again you can go to the website at cindylin.ca and you know learn about what i offer so cindy once again uh, nyawa for joining us on the show it's been a pleasure to speak with you and we thank you and yeah uh, pick up the book you can pick up the books that we were talking about recover rebuild reclaim self the empowerment of iwa iwa hey we yeah pretty close yeah you're, you're getting back <laughs> and, uh, carrier of news and in there you will also be able to read about cindy's uh experience as a firefighter it is uh it's part of that story in there as well cindy once again uh now go for for joining us and we uh, really appreciate you taking the time to do so mm-hmm. yeah okay. yeah now david okay and that is the voice of cindy lynn martin she has been our guest on moment of truth she's the author of recover rebuild reclaim self the empowerment the empowerment of Iwa Hewi, and that is Carrier of News. You can reach out to her at cindylynn.ca. That is Cindy at C-I-N-D-Y-L-Y-N-N.ca. You can also find her on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is our show. We appreciate you, our listeners, joining us as well. We look forward to bringing you more, and we will see you next time right here on Moment of Truth. I also want to say nyawa miigwech wanishi and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zabokin, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa miigwech and thanks for listening.